to the No Spin News. I am Monica Crowley in today for Bill O'Reilly. Thank you so much for joining us as always. And don't forget about my own podcast, the Monica Crowley Podcast. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher. Just type in Monica Crowley Podcast, subscribe. It's free. You are going to love it. I promise you. We've got a lot to get to today. There's news coming at us from every direction. Uh, first, I do want to mention that today is a big primary day. We've got a couple of states holding primaries across the country. We're going to get to those stories a little bit later in the broadcast. Um, but tomorrow on this show, I will be back and we will bring you all of those results along with no spin analysis about what it all means. This, of course, assuming we actually get results because we're a week in and we still have no GOP primary results from the state of Pennsylvania. And as I tweeted today, it's our own fault because we, for a very long time, have put up with this third world nonsense about counting and delays and now mail-in ballots after 2020. You would think that after 2020, certainly after many years of these kinds of machinations, that this kind of stuff would be fixed. But no, because we have put up with it for far too long. So assuming that we actually have results by tomorrow, we will bring you all of the results and no spin analysis as well. First thing I want to get to in the Monica memo today is the economy. As many of you know, I was very honored to serve in President Trump's administration as Assistant Secretary of the Treasury. It was an extraordinary experience, traveled around the world and, and had our hands in all of the important issues. Treasury really is at the center of everything important from tax policy to economic sanctions on America's enemies. So it was a great adventure. But of course, Treasury's main mission is to ensure a strong and healthy US economy, which President Trump and Secretary Mnuchin absolutely did and which Joe Biden and Secretary Yellen are absolutely not. So I'd like to uh, take a moment here to break down the Trump economy versus the Biden economy. Because while you are now struggling to pay for basic necessities like groceries and gasoline, uh, I think a lot of us have forgotten how good we really had it under President Trump. And of course, the corrupt media memory holes these things, so you don't remember how good we actually had it under Trump. Under President Trump, there were two basic economic eras. There was pre-pandemic, and then there was actual pandemic, and then post-pandemic. So actually three eras under President Trump. Before the pandemic hit, President Trump put into place an extraordinary set of pro-growth, pro-worker economic policies. And they were based on four main pillars. One, tax reform, tax cuts for pretty much everybody. We're gonna to talk to Steve Moore here in just a little bit about the Trump tax reforms, which should be made permanent. By the way, they're set to sunset. No, they need to be made permanent. Tax cuts, regulatory relief, unleashing our great energy sector, which brought the United States to energy independence for the first time in American history and by the way, created thousands of jobs. Day one, Joe Biden started to wage war on American domestic energy production. Yesterday, I told you why, because the energy sector is the biggest of them all. The energy sector is the biggest lever that the left, the Marxists, can use to fundamentally transform the economy. 
So while they talk to you a good line about the, the environment and climate change, if they really cared about all that, they wouldn't be on their private jets every two seconds. This is about the fundamental transformation of the economy toward a more socialist model, and energy is the fastest way to do it. So Trump got us to energy independence, Biden brought us back to energy dependence. And of course, President Trump negotiated these extraordinary fair trade deals with our key trading partners, including China. And as a result of all of this, we had a booming economy, really a thriving economy under President Trump. People have lost sight of this, but we had strong economic growth for those four years. We also had historically low unemployment rates across all demographics. This was an incredibly um, uh, inclusive economy under President Trump. This was an opportunity economy under President Trump. Historically low unemployment rates for blacks, uh, Latinos, women, uh, veterans, Americans with disabilities, Asian Americans, you name the group, and we had historically low unemployment rates. And the other thing that it delivered was poverty at record lows, particularly for black Americans and Latino Americans. The other thing that the Trump booming economy delivered, which gets no coverage at all, and I never expected to, except when I write columns or Steve Moore is coming up when he writes columns, you know how the left always talks about, well, we want to narrow the income gap, income inequality, and it's such a corrosive cancer in our society, and it's all due to capitalism. Do you know that under President Trump, the wage and wealth gaps actually narrowed? And they narrowed because while those at the top were still earning more, those at the bottom were earning even more and faster. They had a faster rate of growth in terms of their income, wages, and prosperity than those at the top. And therefore, that gap began to narrow. So while the left for years has been talking about, well, we want to take on poverty, we want to take on unemployment, we want to narrow the income gap, well, guess what? In four short years, President Trump actually did those things. Of course, he gets no credit whatsoever. Like President Nixon and President Reagan, he's a Republican who succeeded. Therefore, everything he did needs to be memory hold, including the booming economy. So Trump gave us this great economic miracle. And then the pandemic hit. And what happened? And I was there in the middle of all of it because Secretary Mnuchin and Treasury, we all led the effort to get the American people and America's businesses through the most acute period of the crisis. So yes, we stood up unprecedented and frankly, very innovative programs to get us through the, pro the, the uh, crisis, including for small businesses. Very proud of the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP, which actually secured about 52 million jobs that were attached to small businesses. Very proud of that. Was it perfect? Of course not. It was a government program. Nothing coming out of government is ever perfect. But we did what we had in a very compressed amount of time and an emergency nobody expected, anticipated, or really knew how to deal with until a couple of months in. So Trump got us through the pandemic perfectly fine. I mean, it was traumatic for the country, but economically, we were able to get through the crisis. And then when the economy began to open up, we really started to thrive again. Why? 
because those pro-growth economic policies kicked back in once we started opening up in the spring of 2020. People forget because it's been so long and so harrowing. But we started to open up again in April, May of 2020. And when that happened, the growth began again. The jobs started coming back because we had this pro-growth economic environment, right? So then the election, we all know what happens there. When Donald Trump hands off the economy to Joe Biden on January 20th, 2021, he handed him the fastest economic recovery from any crisis on record. And now we see what Joe Biden has done with that. He has torpedoed it with reckless spending and all kinds of left-wing programs, wish lists being fulfilled by trillions of dollars in spending. Last year alone, the federal government spent $6.8 trillion that we do not have and cannot afford and did not need. When you have an emergency like we had with the COVID pandemic, emergency level spending is needed and justified. But when the government keeps emergency level spending absent the actual emergency, that leads down a very dark and unsustainable economic path. And that's the path we're on right now. You see it in every direction. It, we've got a weakening economy. First quarter GDP, negative negative 1.4%. The economy actually shrank significantly in this first quarter. We've got a weakening economy, skyrocketing inflation, sky-high gas prices, a labor crunch, and a supply chain crisis. None of this existed when President Trump was in office. It all exists now because you've got unified democratic control in Washington, D.C., and they have abused their powers they don't care that you're suffering. In fact, they relish it. You've got cabinet members laughing. You've got the president of the United States shrugging off your pain and suffering, whether it's at the gas pump, the grocery store, you name it. They don't care because they have their eye on the bigger prize of transforming the U.S. economy. In fact, the other day, Biden himself said, Gosh, on energy prices, yeah, I understand the American people are, are having it rough right now, but this is an incredible transition. His exact words, incredible transition, meaning this is the plan all along. It is all deliberate. It's a deliberate destruction of the U.S. economy so they can replace it with a more Marxist model. And that's the truth. So on the one hand, you've got the Trump economy booming, thriving, rising boat lifting all, all, rising tide rather, lifting all boats. And now you've got the Biden economy, which is an intentional destruction of it with all of the American people suffering in one way or the other. I think the comparison is pretty clear. And frankly, if President Trump decides to run again, all he's gonna have to do is stand there because the comparison is gonna be so stark. This is what's driving voters heading into November. It's sky-high gas prices and sky-high inflation in every other corner of their universe. People are going into grocery stores, putting bacon back because it's 10 bucks a pound and they can't afford it. The United States has always been the land of opportunity and it's always been the land of plenty. And now we have some stuff that we can't afford and we've got shortages on things like baby formula. Again, all of this is the logical end of a command economy. 
You see it throughout history with socialism and communism. It never works. But you know what? The communists don't care because to them, they got the eye on the prize for the much bigger goal. And if you're suffering, so be it. Can't make a, can't make a communist omelet without breaking a few eggs. And you know who are the eggs? You. I want to bring in my good friend now, Steve Moore, uh, for a conversation about this, and he can grade my monologue there. Steve Moore is the co-founder of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity. He is also the senior economist at FreedomWorks. Steve, great to see you. So uh, tell me, you've been listening to my monologue there. Is there anything that you would change or, or elaborate on? No, very well said, Monica. And I would just kind of capsulize what you said and what I say in every you know speech that I give now, that every day that Joe Biden is president, we appreciate the Trump presidency more because of the contrast that you just described. You know, I'll give you just two quick statistics uh, that uh, are related to what you talked about. Number one, you know, when Trump left office, the inflation rate was about 1.5, 1.6%. So we didn't have an inflation problem. We didn't have a supply chain problem under Trump. Here we are 15 months later with an inflation rate of somewhere between eight and 9%. I mean, how do you screw things up that quickly? It's, it's almost, you almost have to try to. And the other one that I like to point to, because I know uh, President Trump is very proud of this, that you know, the month he left office for the first time in 50 years, we actually did achieve energy independence. We were actually exporting our oil and gas because we we're producing so much of it. Uh, now we have to get it from Russia and Saudi Arabia and Iran and other countries. So those are just examples of what this progressive agenda has done to the American economy. Um, and it's just, it's heartbreaking. It, it really is. And like I said, it's all intentional. And I think people are starting to recognize that now. Steve, you mentioned inflation. Everybody is feeling the pinch, uh, especially the middle class, the working class, and the poor. Uh, they're disproportionately impacted by inflation, as we know. It is the cruelest and most regressive tax of them all. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about, because a lot of people in the audience remember the inflation of the late 70s and early 1980s. They used a different metric back then. There was a different inflation gauge. And then it was like 17, 18, 19%. And people now are saying, if we use that same gauge that we used back then, inflation would be running that hot. That's how significant this is. Do you agree? Well, I have to tell you, um, you know, I've been traveling a lot lately. I've been on about uh, eight states in the last just three or four weeks. So I've gotten a good panoramic view of Americans and listen to what they're saying. And when I tell people, you know, the inflation rate is 8%, people get angry at me. <laughs> they get angry at me, man. They say, what are you talking about, you dumb economists? It's not 8%. They say, inflation, I'm paying, you know, I'm paying 70% for my get more for my gas. I'm paying 45% more for my home heating costs. I'm paying 35% more for my groceries. I'm paying, you know, 25% more for my travel expenses. And, and people say, look, the real inflation rate is closer to 15 to 20%. Now, you know, I don't know what, you know, what the accurate number is, but for most Americans who are buying the essentials, it's a lot more than 8%. And that's that's why people are so angry. And, and, and at the gas pump, I mean, people get, I, I see people just growling when they go to the gas pump. It, again, 249 a gallon when Trump left office. In most states now, it's 459 a gallon. So $2 more a gallon times, you know, 16 uh you know, 16 gallons to pump up. That's that's $30, 30 to $35 more people are paying every every single time they go to the gas pump. 
Yeah, and they're inflicting this pain on all of us on purpose. I mean, they want $10 a gallon gas because they think it will be prohibitively painful for everybody and everybody will run out and buy a $100,000 electric vehicle. That's what they really want. Let me ask you, Steve, about the Fed. Um, you know, you and I for a year, and there have been others too, actually longer than a year, Every time we heard Jerome Powell, the head of the Fed, and Janet Yellen and others talk about how transitory inflation was, mm -hmm. you and I have been screaming, no, it's not transitory. It's getting more entrenched every day. The Fed is about a year too late in terms of uh, drawing down their monthly asset purchases and raising interest rates. So now it seems to me that the Fed, with what they're doing, their, their path of announcing multiple rate hikes over the course of the next couple of months, that they are actually giving us the worst of all possible worlds because they're tightening into a weakening economy. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and what it means for you and me? Well, it's interesting. I, I got together with President Trump oh, about six weeks ago or so, Monica, out in Florida, and we had a, a nice discussion and, and uh, you know, we talked about uh, Fed Chairman Powell, who was a Trump appointee, and he was just shaking his head saying, maybe that, Steve, I think that was one of my worst decisions. And I said, well, I can't argue with you, Mr. President. I, I think Powell has done a very poor job in the last 18 months of, of not seeing the inflation and not doing anything about it. And, you know, cancer, you used the term, you know, a cancer cell earlier. Cancer is like a cancer cell. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, inflation is like a cancer cell. If, it, if you allow it to metastasize and linger, it's going to get bigger. The tumor is going to get bigger and bigger. And that's exactly what's happened with our economy. And now it's going to be painful, very painful to drain that inflation out of the system. Now, look, I don't by this argument that a recession is inevitable, I still think we could steer clear of one if we could get the policies right. If if Biden were capable of doing, for example, what Bill Clinton did and move more to the middle to more sensible policies, uh, I think we could avoid a recession. But the combination of Biden's massive trillions of dollars of spending and, Biden, and, and Powell being so behind the curve in terms of dealing with the inflation um, has put us in a really precarious spot right now. And um, I'm very worried about things. I mean, there was just an article in the Wall Street Journal today, Monica, about many major firms are now either calling for a hiring freeze or actually, you know, some layoffs. Now, we do have a strong job market right now, but that could that could change almost overnight. And I'm worried about it. Yeah, no, me too. And Steve, we have to leave it there. But I would just say your point about uh, avoiding a recession. There's been zero course corrections, zero from exactly. this president and his administration in any direction, not just the economy, right. but the open border and yep. Afghanistan yep. and so on. So I don't expect that. So just a yes or no, Steve, if there is no course correction, do you expect a recession? I think it very well could be. And the problem is, Monica, as you just said, Biden is doubling down on those failed policies, and that's the disgrace. Yes, I know. And the rest of us have to suffer. Steve, you are wonderful. Steve Moore of the Committee to Unleash Prosperity and Freedom Works. Great to see you, Steve. Thanks so much. Thank you, Monica. Thank you. All right, let's turn now to the president's schedule, shall we? He started his day abroad. As you know, he's on this tour of Asia, hit a couple of different countries, South Korea, Japan. Today, he met with the Prime Minister of India, Prime Minister Modi. 
Um, and, and that was, I think, according to the White House anyway, a productive meeting. You know, that is one of the most important bilateral relationships that the United States has, particularly now, given growing Chinese power. That relationship with India is critical. So I hope he didn't blow it, at least too badly. Um, he also met with the Prime Minister of Australia, Anthony Albanese, and he greeted U.S. staff at the U.S. Embassy in Tokyo, in Japan today. So he is arriving back to the White House tonight. Uh, he's winging it back to the U.S. And in retrospect, there was only one major debacle on this trip, which we discussed here yesterday. And that's when he basically provoked a war with China by changing U.S. policy toward Taiwan. The White House, of course, had to backtrack on that. He said that the United States would intervene militarily on behalf of Taiwan if it were threatened, which is a change for the decades-long strategic ambiguity policy. Meanwhile, if he really meant it, a lot of conservatives think that we should make it clear that we will intervene on behalf of Taiwan, which is a functioning democracy, a functioning capitalist system. Well, okay, if that's the case, and Biden really believes that, he's gonna need to back up that rhetoric with military force. You can't just push back on the biggest military in the world, China, on a shoestring budget, which is exactly what Biden has done to the U.S. military, and in particular, the U.S. Navy. He has slashed the Navy's budget. So you want to put your money where your mouth is on China and Taiwan, Mr. President? Okay, bring it. But you better be able to back it up. And right now, he's not, and we're not. All right, let's hit some other headlines, some other stories coming at us today. The Sussman-Durham trial, which, as I talked to you yesterday, is well underway. They think they're going to wrap it up this week. I think it should be called the Sussman-Durham-Hillary trial, since she is the root of all evil on most things, but certainly in this case. So the latest is we got a document out of the hearings yesterday, out of the trial, saying that the FBI wrongly told the initial agents who were asked to look into the Russia hoax, they were wrongly told that those lies came from the DOJ. They were told that, oh, this set of information came from the Department of Justice, when in fact it came from the Clinton campaign. So we're getting more and more uh, of these secrets being told coming out of this trial. Uh, they wanted those field agents working blind. They did not want them knowing what the truth was and that the document that they were handed, they wanted them to think it was legit because they were covering their, their trail already. So as I said, uh, Mrs. Clinton is up to her eyeballs in all of this. So are all of these deep state actors that created and perpetuated the Russia hoax lie that didn't just damage a sitting president, duly elected Donald Trump, but also tore at the very fabric of this country and did so much damage uh, to everything that we hold dear. But again, they don't care because they're at war. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the largest online nursery in the USA with more than 10,000 plant varieties and millions of satisfied customers? I have their trees and plants at my home, and they're fantastic. Have you had your fair share of landscaping woes and wasted weekends at crowded nurseries? Finding fast-growing trees will be like stumbling upon a hidden treasure, believe me. 
With fast growing trees, it's different. From fruit trees to house plants, they have it all delivered right to your doorstep. Plus, their plant experts are always available for advice. And here's the best part. This spring, they have up to half off on select plants. And my audience can get a extra 15% off by using promo code Bill at checkout. So please go to fastgrowingtrees.com, use promo code Bill at checkout. Next story. Um, as I mentioned, we've got big primaries happening today. Of course, the biggest of them all happening in Georgia. Donald Trump endorsed for governor uh, David Perdue, former U.S. Senator. He's running in the primary against a bunch of people, but his primary opponent is Brian Kemp, the sitting governor who Trump felt did not defend him enough in the 2020 uh, election cycle. So that's going to be a very interesting race to see. And how it shakes out is going to tell us a lot. And like I said, we're going to talk about it here tomorrow and also what it means for the Republican Party and where we are, the Republican voting base. I've got some very interesting analysis to bring to you tomorrow on this. Also in Georgia, Stacey Abrams, remember her? She's an election denier. Stacey Abrams, remember last time around when she lost for governor? She was like, I refuse to concede. She's like, I was robbed. So I guess it only matters when you're talking about stolen elections if you're on the other side, of course, right? She is running again. She's uncontested on the Democratic side. So no suspense there. But uh, last time around, there was no election fraud or anything. It was just that the Georgia voters rejected her. But like Hillary Clinton, she refused to accept that. They all think they're likable. Uh, you also have in Georgia a Secretary of State primary race, Brad Raffensperger, who Trump loathes also because of the election cycle in 2020. He's running against Jody Heiss, who has President Trump's backing. So that'll be an interesting race as well. And then in the Senate in Georgia, Herschel Walker, baby. Herschel Walker is running in the GOP. Uh, primary. We expect him to win, but we'll see. And he is running for that seat uh, held by Raphael Warnock. Remember the runoffs in Georgia right after the 2020 election? One of those two Democratic seats is opened up and Herschel Walker is running for that. So that'll be a very interesting race. You also have key races in Alabama and Arkansas. Sarah Huckabee Sanders running there. So that'll be cool. Oh, and I got to talk to you about Texas. So in Texas, on the Democratic side now, very interesting. You have a Democratic congressman named Henry Cuellar, who is one of the last remaining moderate, so-called moderate. He's on the left, but he, I mean, given the scheme of things where the Democrats are now, he's like voting moderate. And he's opposed to the open border because his district is getting flooded. He's got a primary challenger, Jessica Cisneros. She's got the endorsement of Bernie Sanders and the squad. And she's giving Quaylar a real run for his money. So that's another race we're going to be watching. And in Texas on the GOP side for attorney general in that state, the incumbent Ken Paxson is running against George P. Bush. Seems like a lovely person, but we're going to see if the Bush dynasty still holds any weight.
Switching gears now to COVID, got a COVID update for you because we haven't had enough of that. Uh, the seven-day average of cases is about 108,000. But get this, this is down 87% from the seven-day average on January 14th of this year. So the average of cases is down 87%. But still, the panic and hysteria remains. And now you've got school districts around the country reimposing their mask mandates. This is insane. I can understand if you've got an immune problem, you've got some sort of medical issue, by all means, wear the mask. But what we do know after two and a half years of this disease is that it doesn't affect children in the same serious way that it affects adults with comorbidities. If you are obese and you've got diabetes and you're over 80, you're at a much higher probability of having a serious COVID case than a five-year-old. But the teachers' union still have tremendous influence and sway, and they want the power and control. It's not about the masks. They're not sitting here afraid of your six-year-old, okay? This is all about power and control, always has been. You got the Philadelphia School District, other districts bringing back the mask mandates, Providence, Rhode Island, Brookline, Massachusetts, Northampton, Massachusetts, of course, liberal strongholds, and Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That's very interesting, but I mean, if you're a parent in these school districts, you've got to be pulling your hair out. And I don't blame you because here we go again. Come on, man. Ukraine update for you. So the Pentagon is now working on plans and they say it's very early stages, but they're working on plans to send U.S. troops to guard the U.S. embassy in Kyiv. Um, President Biden has told us repeatedly no American troops on the ground, not engaged in any kind of aspect of this, this war between Russia and Ukraine. Well, now we could have the possibility of troops being stationed at the embassy. But I ask you, having seen the military industrial complex our whole lives, what makes you think it will stop there? The ruling class has been chomping at the bit okay, to get the United States involved in this and create World War III. President Trump put all of this on pause. This is another reason he needed to be destroyed, because he didn't buy into the military-industrial complex. He actually brought peace. He brought our troops home from combat zones, war zones. But now, uh, we're right back to where we were, and the military-industrial complex is so happy and the ruling class is so happy. Why? Because all modern wars are money laundering operations for them. So uh, I hope I'm wrong about this, but if these initial troops go to the embassy to ostensibly guard the embassy, I'm very concerned that we could be facing a slippery slope of gradual escalation. Last time we saw that, it was the war in Vietnam. And I know we're dealing with two incredibly different situations here, but I'm telling you, they all have it gamed out. And I, I hope I'm wrong, but I could be right. Okay, last story to bring you here. An Afghan rebel group is asking for Biden's support, and they are warning of new terror threats to the United States and America's interests. Not a big surprise. And as I have been saying repeatedly, when you have 
the catastrophe in, in Afghanistan, where it's a free-for-all now for terrorists and it's run by the Taliban, when you've got that coupled with the wide open southern border, where DHS has even admitted dozens of suspected terrorists on the terror watch list have come across that border, you've got a witch's brew of a potential terrorist activity in the United States on the homeland against you and me. Again, I hope I'm wrong about this, but I don't think I am. Okay, on this day in history, it is May 24th, and back in 1943, a very sinister, uh, evil individual alighted on the scene at the death camp known as Auschwitz. Dr. Mengele, 32 years old, arrived at Auschwitz. He was known as the angel of death and infamous for his evil that he conducted on live Jewish prisoners at the death camp. He injected them with everything from petrol to chloroform. He was known for conducting experiments um, on racial determination, on dwarfs and so on, but he had a particular affinity for doing experiments on twins, which was particularly horrific. So he was also uh, the leader on the ramp at Auschwitz when the trains would pull in. He was the one with a quick flick of the finger. You live, you die. You go to work, you go right to the gas chamber. Uh, Mengele led that and he was there on the ramp. I've been there three times, actually. I've been to Auschwitz three times. And I do recommend, there are a couple of places in the world that I think every American should go to if you've got the time and the resources. And Auschwitz is one because it's not to be believed. Auschwitz and of course the death camp down the hill, Birkenau, um, where about a million Jews and others were killed. Um, it is, it's not to be believed. You've got to go there and, and actually see it. Um, it. You know, they finally caught up to him. He escaped after the war. Mangala did, and he escaped to Brazil, and he took on an assumed name, um, and he was able to, to live until they actually tracked him down, but once they tracked him down, they found that he was living under this assumed name, and they, they put the pieces of the puzzle together, and they determined that he died of a stroke in 1979. So he did not get the human justice that we all expect and would want for a Nazi war criminal, but judgment in the end comes for us all. We may not see it, but it's there. Okay, let's hit a quick break, and let's also take a listen to one of my favorite moments from one of my recent podcasts. Everything is expensive these days, you know that. The government is printing trillions of dollars in consumer prices higher than ever. If the government continues its printing and spending, the dollar could continue its freefall and lose its coveted role as the world reserve currency. Let's hope that doesn't happen. But there are a few things you can do right now. American Hartford Gold can show you how to protect your money, your retirement, your hard-earned savings against inflation by helping you diversify a portion of your portfolio into physical gold and silver. Start with a short phone call and they can have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or put inside your 401k or IRA. So please call or text them right now. Tell them Bill O'Reilly sent you. 
Call 877-444-GOLD, 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. Again, that's 877-444-GOLD, or text GOLD to 65532. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. And now let's take a listen from one of my favorite moments from one of my recent podcasts. On Monday, I told you that the judge in the Michael Sussman trial is married to Lisa Page's lawyer. Lisa Page of Peter Strzok lover infamy. And they're all chummy with Eric Holder, etc., etc. I brought all of this to you on Monday. Now, get this. That same swamp judge appointed by Barack Obama has allowed as many as three Hillary Clinton donors among the prospective jurors for the trial. You cannot make this up. John Durham's team objected to putting one Clinton contributor on the jury after the man said he would strive, quote, strive for impartiality as best I can. But the prosecution was overruled by Judge Christopher Cooper, who said the man who works in public policy for Amazon, (laughs) quote, expressed a high degree of confidence that he could be impartial. OMG, you guys. I mean, keep in mind, you guys, that this trial is taking place in Washington, D.C. In 2016, D.C. voters favored Hillary over Trump 91% to 4%. And Democrats in D.C. now outnumber Republicans 76 to 5%. Percent, But wait, there's more swamp goodness. At least one person who donated to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is among the prospective jurors for the trial. She also donated to Hillary and said she had donated to AOC uh, as well, but she was put on the panel after a Sussman defense lawyer told her that neither Clinton nor Trump were on trial and asked if she could be impartial. She replied, yes, knowing that. Oh, sure, sure, sure. No worries, guys. I told you you're going to love my podcast. Subscribe, share, and listen right now on all platforms, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever. You don't want to miss a minute of it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll be back with a message from Bill. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, here is the final thought of the day. So I went to uh, my doctor last week. Remember, I told you the three things you must have in this life in America are a doctor you trust, a lawyer you trust, and a financial planner you trust. If you don't have them, research, get, get them. So my doctor looking out for me wants to keep me on the planet as long as possible. About a year ago, I had high blood sugar. That leads to diabetes. And sugar leads to inflammation inside your body. It affects everything. It's like tobacco. But in the sugar industry, which is everything in our food industry, you'll never hear that. Never hear how bad sugar is, but it's bad. Okay, so I had really high elevated blood sugar. So I said, okay, no more sugar. I knocked it out. Didn't take a pill. Don't like pills. Didn't take them. Just got uh, a reasonable diet. Sourdough bread instead of white and rye and wheat. Sourdough bread doesn't have that sugar content. Okay, no sugar drinks. All right, I got the drinks that have very, very little sugar. Water, iced teas with not a lot of sugar. There's a million of them. There's a million of them. I don't like the artificial stuff, sweeteners, so I just get the ones of very low sugar content. And then I watched it. But if you watch the sugar, the uh, candy and the cookies, the snacks, and the bread, it's going to come down. So the guy who is the gold standard here for good eating is Tom Brady, all right, the football quarterback, who at 45 years old is going to be the starting quarterback for Tampa Bay next year, next September, next season, I should say. So here, I know Brady a little bit. He's a good guy, okay? But he's a fanatic. So I can't do what he does, but I want to tell you what he does because it's interesting. So 80% of Brady's diet is fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts. I eat cashew nuts. Cashew nuts cut your hunger. If you're hungry, about, you know, like this, pop a few. And cashew nuts are tasty to me anyway. Seeds and legumes. 20% protein, chicken, Brady does eat steak, red meat, seafood, okay? Um, he disciplines his portions. So when you feel you're full, that's it. So when I was a kid, it was like, you're going to clean your plate because there are kids in Korea that don't have any food. My reply to my father was, well, we'll put a stamp on this terrible potato and send it over to him. And that was like three days in the basement. But anyway, 75% full stop. Brady uh, doesn't eat within three hours of him going to sleep. And that's smart. So I've kind of brought my dinner thing down. Uh, six, right? I don't eat after seven because it just lays there. All right. So Brady in breakfast, he gets avocado and eggs. Avocado's okay. I'm not a big crazy avocado guy. It's all right. Eggs a couple of times a week for me. Um, lunch, salad with nuts and fish. All right. I like fish. Um, I like it grilled. And dinner, uh, vegetables, and plain chicken. 
I don't know if I can do that. I got to have a little more tasty stuff. Um, I can eat chicken once in a while. And then um, Brady snacks on guacamole and mixed nuts. Again, I eat the cashews. He drinks 12 to 25 glasses of water a day. You don't have to do that because Brady's working out like a madman. But water does cut your uh, hunger as well as cashew nuts. So, you know, drink a little water. You don't take it to church like these morons do. Again, last week at Mass, I'm sitting there, the guy got a big jug of water. I whispered to him, do you think the priest is going to change it into wine? Little wise guy, even at Mass, okay? But what do you do? Are you bring in water? You, for 45 minutes, you can't go without it? Boy. Um, Brady, no white sugar? Nope. No white flour, okay? So Brady's 45, and I'm a little older than him. And he throws a football. I threw a football really well, I have to say. I could get that ball out there 60 yards in my prime um, with some zip on it. But what I'm trying to do for you is if you do consume the sugar as you get older, it will hurt you, okay? Just cut it down. You'll see the weight just melt off. 